0: I know what we forgot to do. What's that? Oh. Lessons learned.
1: Oh. You want to do it and I can just edit it back in like we did it in the right spot? Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive in Scuba new News. Obsessed. Episode 417 is recorded live August 22nd, 2019. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where summer days are ticking away. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
0: I'm doing very well. My gills are refreshed, so we're doing good tonight. Ah, Excellent.
1: That's always good when you can find a way to get in the water. And uh, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. I want to thank everybody who's in the chat room tonight. We're getting a little bit of a late start, so a few of them had the bail. Uh, We had Eric, and we had Scuba Bull, and Derek, the old hardcore is still hanging in there. Uh, I would normally this is where I would say a few will be showing in, but I don't know. We're we're getting, you know, a little bit later than normal, so I don't think we'll see anybody else pop in. But you never know. So let's go ahead and start. The first part will be we have some recalls, um, and some of these are going to be some rehashes. Uh, one thing I discovered trying to do some research to validate some of these recalls is that there doesn't seem to be a good centralized place for this. I did see some websites that had attempted to do it, but they didn't keep up on it. Uh, so some of them are quite old. So maybe if you're in the dive industry and you know a better spot, drop us a line at the show at scubaobsessed.com or fill out one of the forms or talk to us in chat. But I'd like to know where you can find the consolidated list of all of these. Uh, this first one, which is most recent, I think it was just in the last uh, the beginning of the month, DiveWright was notified by a long term vendor DanaCorp in July twenty nineteen of a safety concern affecting rubber low pressure regulator hoses produced between February twenty eighteen and September twenty eighteen. Blows a statement received by the hose manufacturer. This product is now suspected of not adhering to ANSI Z eighty six seven point one standard hose material marked with the Julian date codes of zero three zero eight zero three eight eight zero five nine eight. Zero eight zero eight sixteen forty eight seventeen thirty eight and nineteen ninety eight are the only hoses in question. Those hose assemblies will have Danacorp state coating on the ferrule as early as D zero two one eight February twenty eighteen through D zero nine one eight September twenty eighteen. Dive right hoses affected by the notice were sold between February twenty eighteen and July twenty nineteen. Suspects. Low pressure regulator hoses sold by Diverite include the following sizes: six inch, eleven inch, eighteen inch, twenty-two inches, twenty-eight inches, thirty-six inches, forty, and eighty-four inches. Hoses uh, were sold individually as part of a regulator or CCR packages. Diverite rubber high pressure BC hoses, as well as braided low pressure hoses, high pressure hoses, and BC hoses, are not affected. Diverite has reviewed the ANSI standard reference above and covers many aspects of the hose construction, labeling. Unfortunately, Danacorp has not specified which part of the standard that the hoses potentially do not conform to. Because of this, we must recommend to immediately discontinue the use of any affected hoses due to widespread effect. of The safety notice that Danacorp supplied many different distributors, manufacturers, and dive shops. Dive Right will be only able to issue replacement hoses through its dealer network. If you're not if you have an affected hose, please contact the Dive Right dealer you purchased the hose from for assistance. Please understand the safety notice was not anticipated, or maybe some delays in sending replacement hoses. So that's quite an extensive uh, uh, recall there for hoses.
0: Right, and yeah. they can find that by going to that site that you have on your the show notes. So mm-hmm. when you're trying to figure out all those numbers again that we went through real quick. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you yeah, can, you'd, you you'd, can do it a little slower and look at it yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we'll have. Well, the links are in the show notes. So when you download this episode on your favorite podcasting program, or you go and uh, view it on the website, you'll be able to get to these to that show note. This one is actually on scuba board. Yep. Uh, I couldn't find it anyplace else. Is that where you found it?
0: No, I I can't remember why. I, I was just going yeah. through it today, and that's why I sent you a couple of items.
1: Yep. So that was the first one, and then we ha- there's a mares uh, recall. This one was from March of this year, and we may have covered it. It says, uh, "Please be informed that we have voluntarily discovered a quality issue, or not voluntarily discovered. We have discovered a quality issue in the inflator mounted on the XR line air cells, and are issuing a voluntary product recall to ensure the safety of the diver. This inflator is made by third party supplier Furplas and his henceforth referred to as furplast inflator because they don't want to be associated with it. If you have one of these recalled units immediately stop diving it and return it to your mayor's dealer who we'll arrange for a free replacement of the inflator. If you no longer have this item, please contact your mayor's dealer immediately with the information, at the end of the letter and provide them with a the name and contact information, the new owner. And, uh, we won't go through all the items, but, uh, They give a list of all the products. Uh, They said the previous model is okay, but the new model has to be replaced, and they show a photo of it.
0: That's what I think is good, is when they did that, and then they show the arrows of what the difference is between them. So if you have one or the other, it's a lot easier to determine which one you have.
1: Because with with all these, you need to go back to your original authorized dealer and and, uh, present, but yeah, I like that they did it. They went into some additional detail and what's nice about this one on, uh, the mayor site is that they've, uh, this is probably similar information that the dealers will have. So the dealers are sure what they're need to be dealing, uh, uh, providing support for. And then Shearwater, we also covered this one before they had a voluntary recall notice of the yellow transmitter. Uh, the research of voluntary issuing a recall of yellow wireless transmitters. We discovered the yellow transmitters may have the same transmission intervals, as the one found in the gray transmitter. When transmitter of both colors are used by the same diver and the same dive signal interference could be produced between the transmitters, causing drop signals and loss of communications. Although the chances occurring is small, the potential is there. The transmitter is cylindrical in shape, three inches in length, yellow in color, and marked with letters FCC ID MH8A, along with a unique serial number, is sold by Shearwater Research to dealers nationwide under part number 13009. Divers should cease using the yellow version of the Shearwater Wireless Tank Transmitter. Shearwater prefers uh, to manage your voluntary recall directly with the consumer. Please contact Shearwater at uh, their website, www.shearwater.com, or info at shearwater.com, and then they give some additional information. And some, like a Q&A. Uh, this one was, I'm trying to remember when we covered it. It was uh, earlier this year.
0: Well, it had the, to be after February. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. And that that also, I think, was on the Shearwater site where I got that one. And then uh, in the United States Consumer Product Safety Commission website is this next one. And before I we cover that, I'm going to complain about this consumer product safety website is you can't, using the search is next to useless on it because I did a search one way and I could not find this, but then I found it a different way. So this should be the easiest and it should be organized by category or class, but I couldn't, yeah, it was a pain in the butt. Um, so what there, this recalls the hurish H-U-I-S-H outdoor recalls, buoyancy control devices, BCD, due to drowning hazard. The name of the product is the Zeagle Sports Buoyancy Control Device, a BCD. The hazards of buttons in a Zegel Sports BCD inflators can break or fracture, leading to a rapid loss of air or auto inflation of the BCD, posing a drowning hazard to scuba divers. The remedy is to replace. Recall date is October 23rd, 2018. About 2,600 in addition to 800 that were sold in Canada. So Twenty six hundred in the U.S., eight hundred in Canada, uh, and the recall is also uh, being done up there. And the article or the the post shows all the serial numbers that are affected by the recall. Uh, I go into some additional detail, but we have links to all these in the show notes. And then the f- last one was the suto Sunto dive computer settlement. And they actually have a website specifically for this, Sunto Dive Um A settlement has been reached in a class action lawsuit against Sunto and Aqualung America together, defendants concerning certain Sunto Dive Computers. The purchasers included in the settlement have legal rights and options and deadlines that they must exercise them. To be included in the settlement, you, if you purchased a new unit in United States, in one or more of the following models that are manufactured from January 1st, 2006 to August 10th, 2018, the Cobra, Cobra 2, Cobra 3, Cobra 3 Black, Viper, Viper Novo, Viper 2, Viper Air, Hilo O2, Gecko, Vitek, Vitek DS, Zoop Nova, Mosquito, a bad name for a dive computer, D4, D6, D9, D4I, D6I, D4I, Novo, D6I, Novo, D9TX, NDX. The proposed settlement provides for free inspection, repair and replacement program term determine the dive computer has been faulty depth to pressure sensors or if it does repair the dive computer or free replacement. Some also includes reimburses qualifying class members in certain costs. So... Uh, and this is this looks to be a website by the uh, legal company that uh, was involved with the suit. So this is not Suto directly, but I'm going to say if you've got one of those, you're going to want to stop using and contact your dealer, and they should be able to provide you with a little bit more information.
0: Yeah, interesting on some of the recalls. If you are the original purchaser, it applies to you. If you have bought it secondhand from someone it does not necessarily apply to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, true. Um,
1: yeah. And it kind of depends on how you got it. Like if you bought it used at your dive shop and they're an authorized dealer for that brand, I bet you may be able to, uh, and yeah, they may be able to work something out for you. Yeah. But if you but, bought it in the gray market or a flea market or something, yeah, you know, your options, your your mileage may vary, as we say. Yeah. So we've got those links in the show notes, but it's a little disappointed, uh, not in all these uh, vendors, but some of them didn't have anything at all on their website. Like they pretended like they've never had a recall. Uh, and then there isn't a central spot that you can find them for dive gear. Let's see, what's our, uh, oh, and then kind of at the end of this, and I'm not sure where did you find this uh, pedophile island story.
0: <laughs> I am not sure. Yeah, I'd have to go back and see if I could find my notes. While I would. Yeah. No, no.
1: Yeah. No problem. But uh, I just thought it was interesting. It, uh, scuba divers knew of pedophile island in the waters near the now deceased Jeffrey Epstein's private St. Thomas retreat in the Virgin Islands. There is some decent diving, but when Guides took scuba divers a spot near Epstein's little St. James Island. Security guards would immediately walk to the water edge. Everybody called it Pedophile Island, says Kevin Goodrich, who runs the alternate attitude boat charters out of St. Thomas. It's our dark corner. On August 12th, the FBI raided Pedophile Island to probe further in Epstein's alleged sex trafficking ring. So uh,
0: I think that was scuba news I got that off of. Okay. They had a, they had a lot of little tidbits, and that was what I thought was interesting and current.
1: Yeah. Well, what's what's interesting is it always seems that there's there, you can't go by rumors, but there's always a little bit of uh, you know people kind of knew that something was going on. And then this next one's a follow up. Uh, we covered the story when these were originally found and what they said they were going to do, but these are restoration of 19th century firearms found off the coast of Newfoundland. Fishing net in 2011 from the trawler Newfoundland Lynx snagged a different kind of fish in 800 meters of water. Twenty P-53 Enfield rifle muskets in a crate were dragged to the surface. Surprisingly, the rifle muskets, muskets were in remarkable shape considering they'd spent 150 years in the ocean's bottom. The iron barrels had corroded, however. The rifle musket was found... Everywhere were the British Army and used during the American Civil War and the Crimean War, and they were considered first-class rifle. Parts were interchangeable, machine-made from around 1850 and 1860. The cost for the rifle was $20 and was developed by uh, William Pritchett in the 1850s. The 39-inch, 99-centimeter barrel had three grooves with a 1-78 to rifle twist and was fastened to stock with three metal bands, so the rifle was often called... A three-band model, the rifle's cartridges contained 70 grains, uh, 4.5 grams of black powder, and the ball was typically 530 grain, 34 grams, boxer modification of the Pritchett or the Burton Mini, which would also be driven out about 850 to 900 feet or 259 to 274 meters per second. They thought these rifles were likely new arms on their way from the Tower of London to arm either regular British troops in Canada or the new Canadian militia. After the fine in 2011, the P-53 Enfields are transported to Memorial University in St. John, Newfoundland, and have spent most of their time submerged in a tub of chemicals. One of the chemicals used is polyethylene glycol, a, bu- a bulking agent that prevents wood from collapsing. Thousands of hours of work have gone in restoring the crater guns alone. The time-consuming work is nearly completed, Next step: spend a few weeks in vacuum freeze dryer, and should be ready to display in the museum.
0: What I enjoyed about that was the initial picture of the crate as it came up and the butt stocks. Now that looks like to have been after some of the uh, solution had been applied, or it's been in the solution, because some of those butt stocks look really good.
1: Yeah. Well, if you look, that's in the bed of a truck. That's got. That's a truck pick a bed with a truck liner,
0: spray-on truck liner. Oh, the second one would show me that, yes. Yeah. And the, the other part doesn't look nearly as attractive, but, you know, 2,400 feet down and you wind up with that, that's freaking amazing. But it makes yeah. you wonder, why is it there, and is there any wreckage around it?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the, the tough thing about it being in a net is how many times is that net, as a net or run into that crate and pushed it around. Cause we had ran into the same thing with the, uh, uh, the record we talked about a little bit later, but the, uh, Chikora, there was somebody who pulled a net up and they had, uh, basins with Chikora etched into them. And it was a fishing boat and they couldn't remember where they had found it with enough accuracy to go back and find them. At first, when I saw the, the photo of one uh, modern reproduction, I was thinking that was what they had gotten them to. But yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, if they got that, that's, that'd be absolutely amazing. But you're right, that very first photo, the, I don't know, would that be brass?
0: Is that oh, that on was? the stocks? Yeah. Yeah, it looks like brass. Yeah, this is beautiful.
1: So I'm going to guess that, that was there was something else in there. You know, maybe there could have been, what we're not seeing is maybe there was a, like a wrapping, you know, could they have had like a, uh, some sort of, you know, soaked parchment or wax or something to kind of protect it. Yeah. And, then- and
0: some of those used to have, um, the buttstock would rotate or it was on a hinge and it mm-hmm. would have a, an area back there that you'd have either flints or balls or a cleaning rod Yep. in parts. And I'd be curious if that had any if any of those had that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But but nice, cool. That was uh it's nice to have a follow-up of an article we've covered before. Yep. And then another article we've had before, but this one's a little bit pertaining to this year. This is from the Canadian Broadcasting Company on August sixteenth. They say archaeologists dive back into the Franklin mystery, researchers' goals for 2019 include excavating officer's cabin on the HMS Erebus and 3D mapping of the HMS Terror. A Parks Canada research team is en route to the underwater wrecks of Sir John Franklin's ships in an effort to undercover more truths about what happened in the infamous and ill-fated expedition to find the Northwest Passage. This year's archaeological exploration plan for the HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror were f- lost for nearly 170 years, is being called the largest, most complex underwater archaeological undertaking in Canadian history. The government of Canada is proud. Every Franklin artifact is jointly owned with Inuit, and each newly uh, new discovery helps the world further unravel the story of Franklin expedition. Parks Canada Minister Catherine McKenna stated in a press release. Research goals for 2019 include excavation of the officer's cabin, in lower decks of the HMS Erebus, where Franklin had his cabin, archaeological activities, and a more recently discovered and better preserved HMS Terror set to focus on 3D structural mapping and the exploration of the interior with an HD camera mounted to a remotely operated vehicle. Last summer's poor ice conditions thwarted an ambitious six-week research plan and did us two days of diving on HMS Erebus, and prevented any diving at HMS Terror. This prompted concerns about deteriorating conditions at the HMS Erebus, which is in relatively shallow water and being impacted by storm swells. The Franklin Expedition disappeared into what is now the Canadian Arctic after setting sail from England in 1845 in search of the Northwest Passage. The disappearance of Franklin, his crew of 128 men and ships, was the most compelling mystery in the history of exploration and set off one of the most expensive, well-publicized research operations undertaken. More than 30 expeditions searched for clues in the two decades after Franklin's disappearance, resulting in extensive mapping of the region and completely completing the route through Northwest Passage. Ultimately, it was collaboration with local Inuit that led Canadian research vessels to discover the shipwreck in a much more recent history. Inuit, and I'm not pronouncing that name, oral history told of one of the ships trapped in the ice sinking near King William Island while another drifted south. In 2014, HMS Irmis is covered under the edge of a Queen Maud Gulf south of King William Island. Search for HMS Terror continued until 2016, when Sammy Kogvik of Goose Haven told a story he had been keeping secret to his boss while aboard the Atlantic Research Foundation vessel searching for the wreck. He had seen a strange piece of wood that looked like a ship's mast poking through the ice while snowmobiling years before. This led to the rediscovery of the HMS Terror, which had been hiding in the aptly named Terror Bay off the southwest shore of King Williams Island, roughly 100 kilometers due north of the wreck of the HMS Erebus. The contributions of Intuit were essentially in the search and discovery of the wreck of the HMS Erebus and HMS Terror. The support, guidance, advice, knowledge shared so generously by Inuit in the discovery of Franklin's wreck continues to be invaluable in the ongoing investigation of the Erebus and Terror and the management of the National Historic Site, stated McKenna community event was held in Cambridge Bay, NU, to showcase Park Canada's newest research vessel, the RVE David Thompson, prior to the archaeological team's departure toward the wreck of the HMS Terror. A similar event is planned in Gauche Haven before the team heads to the underwater grave of the HMS Erebus.
0: How deep was that? I mean, if somebody saw the mast, that's got to be pretty darn shallow.
1: I think it was. I'm trying to remember. It was like... Less than 30 meters, or 30, uh, 30 feet, I think.
0: I can believe even 30 meters, because that's only 90 feet. Yeah. And some of the mass could be that much. but And
1: oh, yeah. I can see
0: if it's that shallow and it's covered in ice, it's got to be protected, because I don't think the ice is going to get that deep. But by the same token, when the ice is gone, you got some storms, that could do some damage in feet for sure.
1: Well, you've got some seasons, like the ones where they were trapped, where it, the ice never went. And in fact, I was looking at some photos from last year. In fact, I think they show it, is that there's icebergs floating in the water when they're up there in August. <laughs> so, like yeah, for example, last year they only had two days. So I don't know if it was all storms or <clears throat> if the ice wasn't cooperating or, or what it was. Mm-hmm. So we should expect to hear some news reports uh, probably here in the next week or so. And then another ship that we've known where it is for a while, first man trip in 14 years, of Titanic remains uh, made by Triton submarines and Sebastian. And what they've done is uh, Sebastian submarine manufactures, one of a kind manned submersible completed first man dive in 14 years of the famous Titanic shipwreck to capture present state and project its future in high definition. It's huge beyond unreal, said Mindy Miller, Triton Submarine spokeswoman. Everything about the submarine we have managed is cutting edge. They got 4K footage and everything. Um, The Triton submarines have made five dives over eight days, descending to 12,500 feet in the black near-freezing water. The remains of the Titanic sits in two pieces, 370 miles south of Newfoundland in the bottom of the Northern Atlantic Ocean. Triton president and co-founder Patrick Leahy of Vero Beach piloted three of the Triton 36002 Model 5 dives. Nine-member team made the dives on July 29th and 31st and then August 1st, 3rd, and 4th. Among the team was Kevin McGee, Frank Lombardo, Steve Capella, Shane Egler at Olivero Beach. The last man submersible Titanic dive was in 2005, according to a Triton news release. The footage and computer imagery captured by scientists and experts is being used to to assess the Titanic's current condition and project its future along with providing high-quality visuals and 3D models of the 107-year-old shipwreck. most fascinating aspect was seeing how the Titanic's being consumed by the ocean returning to its elements while providing refuge for a remarkably diverse number of animals. That's what I
0: thought was interesting, was the video Mm -hmm. and the look at the hull and how different it is from what we saw over, obviously, 14 years ago. And it doesn't seem that long since people were on it. No. That 14 years is just
1: going like zip. It doesn't take long. We figure 14 years, that's more than 10% of the time it's been down there. So, uh, you know, and as things break down, there's always that point. I mean, we've seen it on the wrecks that we dive. I mean, you can dive it for 10 years and you can't tell from year to year, but there'll be that one season, whether it's waves, whether it's conditions, or it just gave up and failed. Uh, The wrecks break down. I mean, the iron sides just in the number the few number of years i've been diving it it's it's broken down a ton yeah it's almost become a rubble wreck with a couple boilers on it
0: well it has been cuz back in the 80s uh it was intact you do penetrations on it. and i'm curious also when this deteriorates i'm willing to bet the engines do not deteriorate the same way cuz i think it's the steel plating isn't it on the ship that's reacting to the uh, environment
1: well and they've got those rusticles. Uh, the it's like a bacterial bacteria that's that's digesting the steel and then it's excreting. So uh, yeah, the it, it might be alloys, it might be location, density, uh currents. All can play a, a factor in how quickly this is breaking down.
0: I am willing to bet you though when the hull and stuff goes to heck in a handbasket, you're gonna have the props, the shafts. Engines, probably the boilers. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting about 50 years from now.
1: Yeah, because there are going to be areas that they haven't been able to get to that will just be exposed.
0: Yes. Fun times. When you start thinking of that going down in that 80 b submarine that freaking deep, it's <laughs> got to be a little bit of a pucker factor.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you, you bring, uh, what do the firemen have? You know, one of those old glass breakers. You bring that and you you can scare your fellow divers. Just wrap them yeah. in a little hull and Yeah. Little glass dome there.
0: Get out your diamond drill.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just like a James Bond movie.
0: They probably wouldn't care for you much when you got to the surface.
1: No, I, I'm thinking that you may not make it back to shore. I don't know where he went. <laughs> Yeah, there was sometime between dive number three and dive number five. You know, somewhere he's, who knows. And here we've got from Fox News, a historic 7th century Dutch shipwreck discovered near South Africa Beach. Archaeologists in South Africa found the long-lost wreck of the Dutch merchant ship that played a crucial role in the country's colonial history. Dutch East India Company vessel Harlem or, was it Noel Harlem? I'm Have no idea how to pronounce that. Uh, Stranded in Table Bay on the evening of March 25th, 1647. African Institute of Marine and Underwater Research Exploration Education explains that 58 people traveling the ship were taken back to Europe by other merchant vessels, while 62 were left behind to salvage as much of the ship's cargo as possible. Salvagers built a makeshift camp dubbed Fort Zannenberch, where they lived for about a year after the shipwreck. They also came into contact with local indigenous people. When they returned to the Dutch Republic, the management of the Dutch East India Company decided to establish a stopover ships in a location where they found the camp and formerly known as Tavern of the Sea eventually became known as the modern city of Cape Town. After 20-year search, archaeologists have now found what they believe is a wreck site off Cape Town, suburb of Table View, located below about six and a half feet of water. The wreckage is about 10 to 13 feet below the seabed, according to A-I-M-U-R-E. Archaeologists have been working to find the wreck site since 1989 and now found what they believe the ship's final resting place. Citing a journal entry kept by merchants traveling on the Harlem, historic charts geophysical physical surveys and test excavations. The archaeologists are 95% confident The wreck site has been found. The ultimate proof will be discovery of a 19-inch iron cannon and four iron anchors. has been recorded that those items were left behind when the wreck was abandoned. No shipping disaster worldwide has ever had such impact on an entire nation. The wreck of the Harlem can be regarded as a catalyst that created not only Cape Town, but the roots of the current multiracial, multicultural South African society. Other shipwrecks have also been revealing their secrets, Maritime archaeologists, for example, used underwater drones to reveal the remains of an incredibly well-preserved 500-year-old shipwreck in the Baltic. Dating back to the 15th century or early 16th century, the mysterious ship was first spotted by the Swedish Maritime Administration in 2009. Earlier this year, a closer analysis of the wreck was done by maritime survey specialist MMT were amazed at its level of preservation. At least they didn't say pristine. Another project, five carden-laden ancient shipwrecks were discovered off the small Greek island, and then they're going to some other stuff. Um, Were they really left to uh, try and recover, or is it they didn't have enough room and supplies on the other vessel? So it says that 58 people were traveling the ship heading back to Europe, where 62 were left behind.
0: Are you getting the audio as a side note? Are you getting the audio suddenly pop up on you when you're looking at that?
1: No, I didn't. Uh, Can
0: can you hear it from my side?
1: No, I couldn't.
0: Oh, okay. I don't know where it's coming from, so every time I go to that site, I get some techno music.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I didn't get any of that. Uh, I've got mute turned on. Many of these, when I preload the articles, I mute them. Otherwise, I...
0: But they said good preservation from what I was looking at her. It looked like an iron bar just sitting there in the middle of the. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, excuse
1: me. Says uh, the survey specialist MMT who were amazed by its level of preservation. Now, they, they could have been good or bad in what they're referring to, or at least what's uh, article wise. A fragment of metal composite plate excavated in September nine. 9- 2018 consisted of a layer of copper backed by a layer of lead. Historic information indicates that it was the stern post or rudder that each in Dutch East India Company ships like Harlem use plates such as this. Wouldn't you, I mean, copper could corrode, but wouldn't you expect lead to still be
0: there? Yeah, I would. So, yeah. Like you said, at least they didn't say pristine. Yeah, it's pristine. I, I sometimes but, I just think it's how people talk. But I again I uh, for something like that I'm looking at what is the return on investment for the not even average person, but somebody who's really interested in
1: Well this has been going on since nineteen eighty nine. So we're talking forty years. They've been looking for this. Is it forty years that I do my math right?
0: I'd like to have the funding for that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you've got, who knows? I mean, somebody writes a grant, does a proposal, gets it.
0: Yeah. And Like you say, grant money is your money.
1: Yeah. Well, it depends. If it's a federal grant, if it's a private grant, sometimes some of these private groups will do a grant. But you're not going to get, you know, from a museum standpoint, you're not going to have a display of this little piece of copper. And uh, you, you I mean, people things. are not going to
0: stare at it for any length of time and say, wow. Yeah. Gold,
1: maybe. Yeah, gold you could. And then uh, Forbes is not n- normally who I consider to be a, a magazine talking about diving. But they did have an article where they're asked the question, a 360 camera or GoPro for scuba. So they said, some of the coolest action footage you can capture is underwater. Well, that's my opinion anyway, and this is uh, Jeffrey Morrison of Forbes. Diving is the only action sport I do, essentially just adventurous floating, but the photos are great. GoPros are certainly an easy choice for underwater use. A dedicated underwater camera can be even better, especially if it has a flash. Several 360 cameras are either waterproof or come with dive cases for use under the sea. And so they're asking, what would a casual photographer or diver pick? And he's saying for the purpose of his article that you you don't have a bunch of money to invest in both. Uh, He says you're not looking for a full underwater rig with lights and housing of a real camera. So he says, crush death. We're talking about scuba. GoPro is going to need a dive case, even though the top of the line black is waterproof down to 10 meters. There are two housings available, one which will get you down to 60. Uh, both are $50. Some underwater cameras don't need a housing. For example, uh, the Nikon W300 is rated for 30 meters, which is about the standard for a class of gear. A few 360 cameras are waterproof, but most aren't rated for diving. Most waterproof models, like the GoPro Fusion and Garmin VIRB360 are rated only to 10 meters. The Rylo has an underwater case, but it too only goes down to 3 meters. Rico has one for the Theta that goes down to 30 meters, but I haven't tried it. Looks like it should have worked great though. Since my pick over uh, for the best 360 camera, the dive case, goes down to 30 meters. <clears then throat> I'm going to use the Insta360 One X as my main point of
0: comparison. Um, and then
1: he goes and I've shows.
0: had my old GoPro down to 120 feet. And that certainly is not any of the new ones you have been talking about. So why, as the case is, not as good as what I've got on mine? Well, I think you got to look at them.
1: I think they did cheapen them up for a while because it's kind of the use case. The average person is snorkeling with them. Yeah. And if you're going to go that deep, you need more than just a camera. You also need the lights, especially in Michigan. Uh, But I've been looking at this, and he goes in, and he's got some nice photos and some stuff, and he's talking about why not both. Yeah.
0: Well, some of those clones that look like the GoPro for 50 bucks ain't bad for the money. No. I know the batteries do not last as long, but, you know, it's almost like a disposable. And unfortunately, we are in that disposable society. Right. Well, and technology
1: is changing so quick. I mean, GoPro comes out with a new model every year or so. So there's no reason to. Invest too heavily because everything gets replaced so quickly uh, and you can you have too many cameras?
0: Well, actually, you probably can well i'm let me just turn my head here, and I've got one, two, three, I have four <laughs> cameras, and I use every one of them, yeah, I mean, I had two out tonight. I had one that's got a broken LCD, cracked through it, hmm Takes good photos, that's what I take on the boat. So if it gets wet and it really gets torn up, you know, I can live without it. But it's a darn good camera. Nice zoom. Then I have two good ones, my well, better ones. Also cannons. One is the one where I have my interchangeable lenses. And that's the one I'm really careful of because it costs so much damn money. Yeah. <clears throat> and the other one, uh what is it, the XS fifty, takes mm-hmm. darn good shots. That and fits. I I don't, you know, but I take them all the time. But what really got me, I went to that air show. I took my cannon. I was taking some good shots. And I just for the hell of it, I used my, my phone camera to take uh, a shot of the uh, acrobatics being put on by that uh, new fighter. Mm-hmm. And the video from that damn thing was better <laughs> than my cannon. Yes. And it's like, What? Yeah.
1: I they're doing there's so much energy being invested in your cell phone and the camera and the software that it's unbelievable what they're able to do at it. It's an arms race. It's the competition. You've got Apple, you've it's, got Samsung, it's wonderful. Uh and there's a few others out there who are known for doing good cameras.
0: Well yeah. oh, I'm with would, my my Canon, I'm trying to focus on the damn thing, the aircraft. And if you've got a cloud or a vapor, it shatters my focus. Yep. And the, camera, the the cell phone camera just ignored it and videoed the whole world. And it was wonderful.
1: Yeah. So unless you're doing, you know, full-end cinema video, it's hard to do good video with those DSLRs on auto. Because uh, in, in a DSLR, mm-hmm. uh, the technology cycles are five to ten years on the technology that's in it and the software to drive it and how quick they want to make a new model. And in fact, many times you've seen this, if you follow Canon versus Nikon versus Panasonic, you know, they're all trying to win this war. But many times you'll see all of them not come out with something. Then as soon as one comes out with something, the other will be announcing it within weeks that they have their new model ready to be released. And you can't design... Your next generation, but unless your competition is pushing you, you're going to let that sit a while because you've got substantial investment in the tooling and, and inventory and everything else. Because as soon as you get the new model out, all the old stuff isn't worth as much. Where the cell phone, you know, you're you're buying that, and then the computing power in your cell phone is just amazing.
0: Yeah, uh, this has actually a very good article. I liked all the different pictures I had. And the references for the light and the hammer housings and then the examples they used are very nice.
1: Yeah. Well, the 360s are just about getting there. Uh, And then he also wrote a greater article in depth, which was underwater 360 cameras for scuba. Let me see. When did he do that article? That one, uh, Forbes isn't doing good at posting a date byline.
0: I liked at the end of it where it said, see, also. That had best spy cameras, digital cameras, 10 best SLRs, wireless spy cameras, best travel, and hidden surveillance. I like to look at the wireless spy cameras because you can never tell when somebody's spying on you if you're paranoid.
1: Oh, yeah, the spy cameras are insane. And the thing you can do is you can buy uh, some of these these mini cameras on a circuit board. Mm-hmm. So they're smaller than your pinky and then the lens is you know about the size of a q-tip you can hide them about anywhere and then you can connect them to i mean uh, you've got raspberry pi computer where you can connect them to and uh it's just this stuff is just moving it's if somebody wants to clandestinely video you there's really not much you can
0: do or track you Your toe. oh yeah But yeah, if somebody is seriously wants to do you in, you don't no. have a
1: prayer. No.
0: But anymore, mm-hmm. most people don't have to do that. All they have to do is look at Facebook, and you do enough damage yourself. That <laughs> yes, everybody did. <laughs> if your employer ever got to some of your pictures, it's like you're not going to be working there. Anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, you got to be careful.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: You it online, it's forever.
0: Yeah, no matter how old you are. Well, at 14, he said I was a bad person. And So when a guy runs for yeah. president when he's 35 or 45, you can't vote for him anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, I I find this funny as these people who were uh, bashing somebody for a position that they're taking are retro, retroactively getting mm-hmm. nailed because somebody will find a, a post or an article they did 10, 15 years ago. And at the time, it was fine. But in the new culture of today, it's not popular. And if, you know, uh, the reason why a lot of this is, is your position, and we don't have advertisers here in the program, but you have to be brand safe. I mean, that's why YouTube is constantly pulling down videos. It's not because they're concerned with what you're saying. They're concerned with the advertisers having their ad show up next to an article that they don't like and then pulling that ad by cuz they're the customers. Yeah. Not, not you putting up the video or you even watching. You're the product. The customer is the advertiser.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: so that does it in, for scuba the news. So we had a uh, quite a few in there. So let's go ahead and talk about diving. Uh I understand that you got a a dive in in the
0: last well today. Any well yeah, day? we got we got one in Saturday too. Where did you go Saturday? Well, we did the club picnic. Oh, yes. And then we got to dive in afterwards. Um, basically, what we want to do is check out that boardwalk area. Mm-hmm. And so we went in down at the sewage pipe, which now has a big sign that says, be advised that during high water, sewage and blah, 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 blah goes through here, and this can be blah, blah, contaminated, and don't tuck on the water and don't, that kind of thing. Right. And uh so when I went down there, I, I deliberately looked into that big pole, that big black hole, and yeah. you can actually go up that pipe. I don't recommend it, though. No, I,
1: when you say that, you're you're meaning somebody probably a little more slim than I am.
0: No, you can fit in there very well. You, you think that's really? A big, that's a big pipe. That it doesn't look a, like
1: that big from the surface.
0: Well, it is. Oh. You, yeah, you could almost put a shopping cart in. there.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I need a penetration dive that, that much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either.
0: Yeah. But um, the current was pretty swift. And as we did it uh, from the pipe down, the amount of debris is not very much. Meaning, remember, you, used to, you, you could build a car out of the parts we got out of there almost last oh, yeah. year. <laughs> well, that's all gone. I mean, there are some broken bottles we found. And that was near the dock or the walkway. So somebody could freshly have just dumped that in. You know, I found a flashlight, the old mm-hmm. brass one that where that came from I don't know, dome covering, but as far as filling up a basket, not so much. Wow. Oh. Oh, you were you were at the meeting, right?
1: I was at the meeting, yeah.
0: You saw that that thermometer Marybeth found? That was oh, yeah, sad.
1: How did that
0: that, that was right there, yeah. How yeah, that so, could possibly not break? Cause that's what two and a half feet. Yeah, I'd say about twenty four
1: inches. Yeah. yeah, So what everybody, if if you've seen those, like in the old gas stations, they'd have the metal uh, sign, yeah, sign, and it would it would say temperature, and then you had this thermometer, and it was a glass rod about twenty four inches, and you know you you'd see the red go up in it because it was it it wasn't mercury. So I'm going to say that was probably, you know, at what point was Mercury where everybody kind of got sensitive? Uh, I don't know. We,
0: we played with it in high school chemistry. I know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the, the magic's quick silver stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So at some point in time, they it wasn't Mercury. And it might not have been Mercury, not for the safety aspect, but they wanted uh, an aesthetic to it. But it was glass. How do you keep a two-foot glass rod from breaking? And the only thing I can think of is that it was in whatever sign, and everything corroded. You know, it was in the sand, and it corroded away. And she just I mean, came across it. It was a weird find. Yeah, I mean, if there's an award for the most fragile find, that that's got to be in the top ten. Yeah, because
0: I, 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 it wasn't chipped or anything. Not even. No. The sand scoured. So we. No, at the, at the meeting, then we were talking about since we didn't find a lot, uh, how the ecology dive going to work this next, and we decided, well, it's going to be a little awkward, so we're going to do a drift dive, starting up at the upper docks, down below the dam. Mm-hmm. We're going to have it a lot anything from there all the way down to Merrimont, as long as you have it back, you know, yeah, to the Riverview Park. Just like we used to do pawpaw, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere you want, as long as it's back here, that's the counting time. And if you do that, I think we'll be able to uh, satisfy some people. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna do a drift dive from there down to see what is within that 30-foot span from shore to out as we drift down, not take anything, and see if we can get more than enough material that will make it a challenge and uh, worthwhile. And the reason we do that, if we go across the river, there is no doubt you're going to find crap. I mean, we found enough junk iron today to fill up a John boat. Yeah. But if you were with a separate basket, you know, the float basket, Mm -hmm. that current is going to be ripping you down through the river because that extra drag, you don't want to be on the bottom of that kind of drag at the top. No. Well, I take that back. Rob took his, but... Where we're at today, we had some deadhead, and it wasn't bad. But other, last week, that flag would have dragged you down to the, to Miramar.
1: Yeah, And even with the current half of what you're seeing, I don't like dragging a, a basket and an inner tube up on the surface because that's just it's too much resistance.
0: True. But if you're going to be doing an ecology dive, you're going to have to. Yeah, you're going to have to have something. Or you're going to have goodie bags with you, and they're going to be dragging them through the muck.
1: And then that other side of the river also, while there's going to be a lot of treasures, it's also a lot of snag hazards.
0: Big time, big time. And when it's really uh, fast, it looks like punji sticks and not a good thing. I, I do not want to have people who are not comfortable in, Yeah, and, and there's nobody who is not diving all the time, going to be comfortable in that low-vis, fast water, entanglements into the trees. That, no. I'd rather have them yeah. on the other side.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm not a big fan for that because you you kind of have to work your way up to it, both in an experience and just familiarity with the area.
0: Well, th- uh, today, tonight we dove it again. Uh, this time we went up to the second bridge by the hospital, where we used to park in the the parking lot, go down under the bridge, yeah, suit up, and then go north or south, up or down. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff down there today. But <laughs> you have to dig for it. It yeah. it has been scoured, so you've got to start going down under the dirt. I think Rob had a three foot hole out there he had dug, that was going to fill in pretty rapidly.
1: Not, um, not that anybody's digging holes, by the way.
0: No, we uh, don't dig. I, I mean, just, it's just fans. You yeah, divert yeah. the pattern of the flow, and it sort of carries it away. And yeah. John spent his time out in the middle, which last week you could not do. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I stayed where I normally do. And I'll, I'll post some pictures later. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, when's the ecology dive? Well, right now it's tentatively rescheduled. I think we had—I'm trying to find my calendar.
1: It was in October. We, it's been moved. Yeah,
0: we had it October the twenty. Twenty first.
1: September the twenty first, wasn't it? It was. In uh, sept-
0: no, it was the ecology de- dive was was September twenty first. Yeah. That's when we and had then, a schedule.
1: And then we've moved it into October.
0: Yes. And I think it's the first week in October that's what we were looking at.
1: Yeah. So there'll be some posts on the uh, Facebook and the Mud Club site. Absolutely. And also on the, the Mud Club website, which is Com.
0: Right. And what we will try to do is there was an interest of a, uh, a Boy Scout troop coming out to be surface support. Uh, so we're going to see if we can arrange that again or... Find out if there's other groups who might be interested in coming out to help us out. Because, again, for every diver, you need somebody on the surface.
1: Yeah, you're going to need somebody. Because divers
0: if, cannot come up and down with junk and yeah. get anything done. Yeah.
1: I have to think of some uh, tools to help with that. Because uh, it is kind of a, a, a light, friendly competition. You know, who's got the heaviest item, who's got the most unusual, who's got the most...
0: Well, we always know that a wheelbarrow and gloves are almost a necessity. Yes. Not an almost. They're they're a necessity. You don't want to cut yourself good gloves, and you can't carry enough in your hands. You want that wheelbarrow, especially the stinky stuff. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, everything's waterlogged. I mean, I've I've done, like, coat. You bring a little uh, winter coat up that somebody had dropped in the river, and that winter coat will be about 100 pounds.
0: <laughs> Feels like it anyway. Yeah,
1: it'll, it'll eventually lighten out in the sun. But... So we got that coming up, and then tonight
0: you did some more diving. What was the temperature tonight? Seventy-four water temperature. Uh, I mean, I had my old very leaky seven mil. Rob had a three mil. Uh, I don't know what John John will turn wetsuit, of course, but uh, everybody's more than comfortable enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so this is, the, this is almost like bonus time in the dive season is when you can get in the river in the summer.
0: But it's funny, though. I mean, it, quarter to nine, it was freaking dark. It's like, wait oh. a minute, what happened to the sun? Yeah. And, and on, on that side, you didn't have any light because the sun was oh. already coming down at, at six o'clock. So we were already in the shadows. But uh, just that transition between when we finished and everybody came up with 1,000 pounds left.
1: They usually will have plenty of air because you're not that deep.
0: No, absolutely.
1: You're on that west shore, and those trees are up there, and there's a kind of a, you know, a hill to that side of the river. Right. So you're you're in, you know, probably about the time you started, it was already starting to get a little dark. You didn't have that sun on the bottom.
0: Yeah. Yep. Like, we had like the big shadows, get,
1: like you do in the weekend. You probably had some nice about midday. It's uh, we were
0: yeah we we hit the water around two o'clock.
1: Yeah, if you've got sun, because it's a sandy bottom frequently, uh, you can get some pretty decent vis.
0: Yeah, totally different. Well, you saw the picture I posted of the uh, weeds.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you had a little video clip, and that current was was moving around a bit.
0: And as you move further out, it was a little stronger. Yeah. Yeah, if you didn't take your river stick, you're going to wish you had better. You're looking for some big rocks.
1: And then some other activity we got going on is the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve successfully buoyed their first wreck. So that Havana is correct. Now has a buoy on it. Uh, and that's an
0: official Coast Guard buoy. It'll be on the charts in a couple of years. It's got the iridescent, so when you hit it with a light, it shines. And it also has a strobe on it that mm-hmm. flashes every second.
1: So that is Havana, and that was sponsored largely by the Michigan Underwater Dive Club, Mud Club. And, and Wolf's that, Marine. And Wolf's Marine gave uh, some excellent pricing on the supplies and buoys. So thank you for Wolf's Marine.
0: Yep. Uh, and uh, this uh, Sunday should be the uh, anchor, the buoying of the Rockaway. Rockaway. Uh, the crit is out and down. They've been uh, putting steel in it. And they hope to. Um, they're going out on Sunday, and they hope to get the all the steel they need in it. They need a little over a thousand pounds in it, and they've already got the anchoring system ready to go when the crit is weighed down properly.
1: Yep. So. And provided, it's taken
0: years, but it finally got there.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about doing that for it's
0: probably 25 twenty five years. Twenty five years. Wow.
1: So these are official. They're on the charts. Uh, DNR approved, Coast Guard approved, state approved, state approved. So we did all the paperwork, all the stuff. So that will be out there. Hopefully everybody can enjoy. Uh, So you get the the numbers from the Southwest Michigan, which I think is uh, Dive, uh, uh, S-W-U-P. Is that it? I should know the website since I host it. Uh, Let's see here yeah dive s w m u p dot com and there are g p s numbers and what's nice is g p s numbers uh without a buoy you sometimes can be a little challenged to find a wreck but with that buoy what you're gonna be able to do is uh attach your your, your vessel to the buoy and dive follow the buoy on down there'll be uh lines from the crib to the wreck uh, if you got a reel of about fifty feet, that will guarantee that you can make it to the wreck. You can do a perimeter if that line if the uh, line in the bottom isn't there.
0: It should be there though they had one already, yeah, and it's it's about approximately thirty feet from it, but yeah. the line is a big deal yeah. so that's that's gonna be a necessity for that yeah well what the big thing is you don't screw up the wreck any further by driving dragging an anchor trying to yeah. uh get it in place so you can go dive. Yeah.
1: So the, the buoys are the, 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 uh, the goal of the preserve is to put the buoys up as soon as they can. And they'll be out till at least Labor Day. Uh, but anytime after Labor Day, there's no guarantee that they'll be there. Cause it'll, it's like the, you know, the, the way great lake weather goes, uh, you want to leave it on as long as you can, but you still, you don't want to leave it out over the winter.
0: No, you want to get up for the ice. Yeah,
1: so I'm going to guess you'll at some point at the end of September beginning of October they'll be pulled down. So, uh check the preserve website and Facebook page and that should have the information whether there there's currently a buoy on it or not. And you can also drop somebody a line in uh the preserve Facebook page and somebody should be able to tell you if it's out there or not, but it's it's nice and then once this is we've got these two on and the cribs are all loaded up and ready to go. Uh, putting them in in the spring shouldn't be as bad. And then the goal is next year to do a few more. So if you want to donate to those, you can visit the the preserve Facebook page and there's a Facebook campaign going on. Uh, we'll also be adding some new ways uh, to donate. And I say we, as uh, I'm on the board of the underwater preserve along with, uh, Kevin and others. So, uh,
0: well, well the nice part also is, even if you don't have GPS numbers, and you know it's five miles north of the pier, a mile mm-hmm. offshore, when you got a blinking light out there, it's a lot easier to find it now. Yeah. It's not a gold buoy. If you've been out there looking, you know what I mean by a gold. buoy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> How many times have you chased those gold buoys?
0: Oh, yeah. It's right over there. You get there, and then it flies away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Clorox bottle wasn't what you thought it was. Yeah.
1: And then uh, while we're talking about things coming up, uh, I understand that there's an author who will be presenting.
0: Yep. On the uh, September 28th, uh, the Morton House, and I'm working with him to get Taurus Lysenko of uh, AT Recovery. He's a gentleman who has been recovering aircraft from Lake Michigan for a number of years. Did we just lose somebody like Craig? Nope, Craig's still there. Oh, I just heard some noise there. Uh um, no, we,
1: we had somebody pop in, so oh, uh, okay. welcome, Brandon. Oh, it was Derek. Okay. <laughs> he, we'll, we'll blame Derek. Uh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's recovered quite a few aircraft. He is also the one that has uh, identified, videoed, and is in the process trying to get approval to raise the UC-97 German submarine, World War II mine layer in Lake Michigan. And he is also the individual who has a strong belief that he has located Chikora and is working with the multiple states and universities uh, to try to get a telebroadcast so when they drop the ROV on it, validate what it is, that it can be done and sent to all the different schools who may be following this. And the Morton House Museum is very interested in that. Since the Morton House is Morton and Graham, steamship line, they have a vested interest in that also. Mm -hmm. So very cool. And that's going to be September the 28th. That'll be at the Benton Harbor Airport. Yep.
1: Now, is that going to be recorded? Is that interview going to be recorded, or is he going to be doing some other
0: Well, it's not not an interview. He'll be uh, doing a book signing from 6 o'clock to 7. At 7, he'll do his presentation. And have you ever been to one of his?
1: No, I mean, we interviewed him on the program here, but right. I haven't been to They
0: are very good. I've been to a couple of them around here because um, he'll show what he's doing, pictures. Uh, sometime he's brought artifacts and little add-ins about what they found on the aircraft. Uh, highly enjoyable, highly enjoyable. And uh, it'll be, I think, a good time. Excellent. And that will be free. Uh, Obviously, we appreciate donations for the Morton House Museum, and uh, if people wanted to donate to the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve, that would also be acceptable to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because we need to keep things going because it's oh, I mean, money's the key.
0: It's that's the bottom line. If you got the money, you can you can jump through the hoops for the state because Mm -hmm. everything permits cost money. Yeah. Uh, Um, As a side note, did you know uh, that? um, both Kevin did go, and so did uh, Jim to the uh, Michigan Salvage Committee meeting. Oh, I didn't.
1: Know. So Kevin was
0: able to. to yes, take he off was. The time. He the, he asked for permission. He got off that morning. They said, "Yeah, you can have it off." So he went also. Wow. Uh, cool. And they said it was a very, very educational and worthwhile uh, day. They spent five six hours during the presentations. And they were able to give some voice their opinions on what needs to be done, how things could be done different. And though one of the examples was for the buoys to be put out, you had to file a permit at five hundred dollars. Yeah. They finally worked with the state, so they made one permit for a hundred and fifty different sites. So yes. it didn't cost us seventy thousand dollars on. Right. That. What? But you know, yeah, seventy thousand dollars? It only cost five hundred. Now that's the way it should be. Yeah,
1: because that rule was meant for, I'm the Cook Nuclear Plant. And I'm going to put two buoys out in the water. Yeah. That's not meant for non-profit organizations, which are specifically sanctioned by the state for that activity.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: so, yeah, that, that that's good. So. I look forward to talking with uh, Jim and Kevin and finding out what they got. uh,
0: Well, the other aspect that they've gotten there and they're trying to get going is that app that when you do a dive and or you find something like, oh, look at that snapper wheel or whatever, uh, or that's a fungus. I never saw this here. Or the lamprey we're finding back in Niles, that if we can take a picture of it, especially underwater, and send it, it automatically digests. The GPS number that you're at on your mm-hmm. app. And that helps validate where you found it, when you found it. And you can do this electronically and it helps them keep check of and, and validate invasive species. Yeah. And, 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 and or any other item. Is
1: with modern technology, if we can reduce the friction, the effort it takes for somebody to report that information, because it's much more useful to the state to know. That you saw a lamprey this Thursday, and they can see it
0: right, and if you can show them a picture of the sick fish with the big bites on it, that adds more validity to it, yeah
1: yeah, and 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 you that's additional data you know citizen science
0: well we um, used to we used to when we dive the piers uh we do cladophora studies, and then we'd talk about the uh, how many zebra mussels we found. How than quaggas how many inches were on the piers and we'd send that in but if you could do that every time you dove it so it's instantaneously updated and maintained then you got Mm -hmm. a good trending and you could graph that to see the growth and the decline you know over a period of time so it's a good deal yeah for the state and for the divers
1: yep well cool well, I'm glad. That's some uh, some good information. So, we're yeah, I mean, we're in, I, I call this peak dive season.
0: Well, I think we're going to do that drift dive on the 30th. That's a Friday. Uh, we're going to try to do it at high noon. Mm-hmm. So we have good sunlight penetration. And uh, anybody who wants to come out there and dive with us, welcome. We would appreciate knowing you're coming. <laughs> and we want to make sure you have a river stick and the appropriate flag so we know where you are.
1: Excellent let's see. Now, if you're enjoying the program, we certainly would appreciate your support. You can do that by going to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over to our Patreon page, and $3 or more will get you early access to the show notes. If you can't do that, we understand. We appreciate it if you can. But if if not, if you can support the show in other ways, uh, five-star reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts will help. Uh, and there's a variety of ways of listening. You can listen to us on just about any major platform for podcasting. We should be on, including uh, Spotify. You should be able to to get us on Spotify. And we did post a few episodes on YouTube. So if you can go on YouTube to our Facebook page, not our Facebook page, or YouTube, uh, and subscribe, uh, I did get some feedback this week from some of our listeners who, uh, have discovered us that way, so I'm going to take some time and uh, add some episodes up there. Uh, they may have a little bit different music because uh, the way YouTube does their music, I want to make sure we don't run foul of them, even though our music we believe is legal. YouTube can do some some crazy things, so YouTube will be another spot and then we'll also might have some YouTube only content uh, for a while. Do you, do you have a lesson learned this week?
0: Yep, of uh, an diver's corner. It's titled, You'll Be Okay. And then the subtitle is, Reassuring an Anxious Diver May Not Always Be the Right Approach. And then we start the dive. My daughter, who in this article will be referred to as Claire, was a 25 year old planning dives on the West Coast. The dives would be her first since she completed her open water certification. Two months earlier, she contacted the shop that certified her. They told her about an upcoming charter and assured her the dives would be within her ability. When she asked about a dive buddy, she was told she would be paired up on the boat. She mentioned that all her training dives had been from shore, and this would be her first boat dive. She was told a dive professional would be on board to assist her, and she decided to join the trip, the dive. On the way to the dive site, Claire was introduced to her buddy, who would be called Jake. He had done 18 dives in his lifetime and had not been diving in more than a year. Almost all his previous dives were in the Caribbean. As the boat approached the dive site, both divers expressed reservations when they learned one dive instructor on board would be training a student rather than diving with them. They were told not to worry, everything would be fine. Jake had difficulty setting up his equipment and told the instructor his rental BCD was too tight, which made it hard for him to breathe. Once in the water, Claire was unable to descend, so the crew slipped additional weight into her BCD pockets. By the time these problems were resolved, the other divers had descended already, and Claire and Jake descended alone. A plankton bloom, typical for the season and location. Limit visibility near the surface. The divers overcame their anxiety by giving each other the OK signal repeatedly as they descended. At about 30 feet, the visibility began to clear, but it was dark and neither had a light. About 10 minutes into the dive, Jake turned to look at Claire, who had been swimming right behind him. And he realized she's not there. After a moment, he saw someone in the dimness and swam towards that person. As he approached, he saw it was Claire and realized she was unconscious. Grabbing her by the BCD, he attempted to ascend. He kicked hard, but was unable to make any progress towards the surface. He did not think to release her weights, or inflate her BC, or dump his weights, or inflate his BC, and was soon overcome with exhaustion. Jake struggled to get enough air through his regulator and began to panic. He released Claire, headed for the surface, spitting out his regulator on the way. He hit the surface, gasping, choking, unable to call for help. The captain noticed him struggling and motored over to him. Unable to talk or breathe, Jake kept pointing down. Once the captain realized there was a problem, he made a distress call and initiated a diver recall by tapping the boat's ladder with a hammer. But not all the divers responded to the call promptly, and some decided to do safety stops before surfacing. Precious minutes were lost. Claire was found in approximately sixty feet of water by the instructor and another diver. CPR was initiated once she was brought aboard, and a Coast Guard boat arrived to transfer her to an ambulance on shore. Claire's heart was started in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. She was placed on life support in an intensive care unit, but unfortunately Claire never regained consciousness. Three days after the accident, the doctors determined she would never have enough brain function to breathe on her own. And the family made the decision to discontinue life support. Discussion. Neither Claire nor Jake was sufficiently experienced for the dive. Claire never dove without a professional guide, had not dived on, from a boat before. She relied on someone else to guide her through the process. Jake had not dove for more than a year and did not take a skills refresher before the He'd never been taught to do what to do with an unconscious diver. Jake had complained also prior to the dive his BC was too tight and limited his ability to breathe well. Clara's regulator was tested after the accident and was determined to be performing below the manufacturer's specification. And an inability to breathe properly may have contributed to both Clara's unconsciousness and Jake's sense of panic as he attempted to assist her to the surface. Whenever rental equipment is used, its fit and function should be assessed by the diver who will use it. he or she leaves the dive shop. Dive operations should consider greater oversight and supervision of inexperienced divers, particularly when visibility is low and the divers are unfamiliar with the site or the conditions. Neither Claire nor Jake had enough knowledge to evaluate whether the dive fell within the scope of their competence. Both divers relied on someone else's opinion that the dive was appropriate for them. Claire lacked the experience to know what questions to ask, so she trusted the dive shop employee who told her not to worry. Jake expressed misgivings about his equipment and lack of supervisor or supervision prior to the dive. Despite this, he trusted the instructor who told him it would get better once they were underwater. Both divers decided to go ahead with the dive despite their apprehensions. There was many opportunities for either Claire or Jake have decided not to dive, new divers may not have adequate background to anticipate the potential for an accident. Every diver needs to have ingrained into them the notion that they are not feeling good about a dive, they should not get into the water. Divers must be honest with themselves and about their ability to dive safely. Before giving assurances or advice, a dive professional or experienced diver must. Be careful to evaluate the conditions from the perspective of the less experienced diver. Although it's tempting to tell a new diver who's showing signs of anxiety, you'll be okay, reassurances, however well-intentioned, may be fatal for unprepared or highly inexperienced divers. New divers must be skeptical of others' assessments and reliant on their own. If it feels like something is wrong, it very well may be. Take responsibility for your dive. Problems on the surface are not going to improve once you're underwater. Whether it's your fifth or your 50,000th dive, you have the right to call a dive. True words were never spoken.
1: Excellent. That's a good article. Yeah, because that's a, uh, uh, it's it's scary, Um and it's it's hard to get that point across because you have this. Uh, I think we're taught to trust, and that there's well, a certain teacher-student relationship that you know they taught you to dive. So if they say something,
0: yeah, they said uh, I'd be okay. Yeah, I, I, but, I should be able to do it. But by the same token, remember we always say you should when you're in a group, you should plan your group dive to the level of the lowest experienced person. Yes. Now. Most often, we don't. Hopefully, what we do, though, is somebody is tagging with them, so those who have more experience are gone and about, but they still have someone with them who is ready to help them at their level.
1: Yes. And if something's not going to that plan, that's the reason to call it. Either mid-dive or before the dive even starts is better off.
0: Yeah. I mean, Um, something as simple as a leaking mask, really cascade into something bad and if you're in 10 feet not too much because you can get up but 30 feet is different there's more potential for something to happen in a catastrophic
1: and then in the what they didn't cover was what the pre-dive briefing was like but were those new divers expecting the visibility that they had
0: and should they have had lights
1: Yes, but again,
0: true. it it just right off the bat is if the BC didn't fit and you can't breathe. Oh yeah, and you know, it's 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 unfortunate and it's really tragic.
1: Yeah, that's um, not not a good ending result.
0: And, and and the common item is how many times do you find an unconscious diver or dead on the bottom, air in the tank,
1: still oh, yeah. has his weight
0: belt, yeah. weights on yeah it's really crazy how reluctant you are to get rid of your weights because they cost money
1: yeah maybe maybe I'm just becoming an old diver, but heck I had no no problem ditching all the weights my My bigger concern with ditching the weights would be coming up too quick uh, uh. Now, but at least you're a... go, but at
0: least you're going to be on the surface when you have problems,
1: yeah, yeah. and maybe that's something that we'd uh, be interesting to practice. You know, on a on a shallower wreck would be, uh, you know, a pretend ditch in the weight.
0: Well, what what's really interesting I noticed today is I have got to re uh, look at my uh, BC in a little more controlled environment because I think mine's bleeding, burping, know. which means I got a leak. If it continues to burp, where's the leak coming from? Obviously from my push button. Yeah. Now, now you want that, in, that in ten feet, maybe. Yeah, in ten feet, five feet, it's not going to bother me. No. I don't want that happening on a hundred and twenty foot dive, because no. it can either do two things: not work, or inflate my BC and I'm going bye bye.
1: Yeah. Well, and then also the you know say you've got a small leak, and to keep your buoyancy, you got to be putting air in. That air down at a hundred plus feet is, is, is going to take away from your breathing air. Yeah, so uh, excellent article. I like this one. Do you have anything you want to plug, Mac?
0: No, I think we pretty much plugged everything already.
1: Yeah, yeah, we got it all. So uh, I think that puts us into that time of the show.
0: Oh my goodness, it is, isn't it?
1: It is. And uh, so let's see here, and I, and I, I've I've probably got ten jokes, so. I, we won't get through all of them, but we can get to a couple. So here's here's a quick warm up. Two wires were on the ocean cruise when the ship sprung a leak and sank. The solid core wire managed to climb to the lifeboat and was headed to safety, but the other was stranded. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure not everybody would get that one. And then and then here's one. This one's for uh, both the pilots and the technical people. A helicopter was flying around Seattle when electrical malfunction disabled the aircraft's electronic navigation and communications equipment. Due to the clouds and haze, the pilot could not determine the helicopter's position. The pilot saw a tall, tall building, flew towards it, circled up, and held up a handwritten sign that says, Where am I? in large letters. people in the tall building quickly responded to the aircraft, drew a large sign, held it up to the building window, and it said, You are in a helicopter. The pilot smiled and <laughs> waved looked at his map, determined the course to take to the SeaTac airport, and landed safely. After they were on the ground, the co-pilot asked the pilot how he had done it. Well, I knew I had to beat the Microsoft building because they technically gave me a correct answer, but it was completely useless.
0: <laughs> That's good a little more cerebral than than normal (laughs) but true
1: yeah it has to be sometimes so how about on that note go out there and get wet
0: and stay safe Got to do. What's that? Lessons learned.
1: Oh, you want to do it, and I can just edit it back in like we did it in the right spot.
0: Uh, I was going to use the one I put into the to the newsletter. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, we can do it, and then if it works, it works, and if not, then we tried one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: So I'll I'll put it in. So. Oh, cool. Huh. Well,
0: I'll, you're, I'll You've already done your closure, so you yep. got to do a scooch it in there.
1: Yep. So we'll go ahead and add that in.
0: Right. Oh. Okay.
1: We'll, we'll, we'll that, kick uh... Craig out now.